Blog Talk Radio. from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy objectivism is the philosophy that upholds, uniquely upholds, the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I will have two people joining me this evening. The first person that we're going to speak to tonight is Brittany Fay Rivera. Brittany is the director of development for an organization called The Undercurrent, that does a lot of outreach on college campuses. And we're going to be talking to her about an upcoming conference that they have in Washington, D.C. next weekend and uh, a lot of things that she has learned in doing her job for the undercurrent, things about coalition building, about common misconceptions that people have about objectivism that I assume that she's probably gone a long way to correct, which I'm excited to hear about as well. And uh, after I speak with Brittany, we've got about, uh, I think, a half hour with her scheduled this evening. Then I'll be talking again with cartoonist Bosch Boston about some of the week's events. You can go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and see some links to the undercurrent and the upcoming student conference that we're going to be talking about with Brittany. And I believe I do have her on the line already If you're a regular listener to the show, you know that last week we had a very interesting caller. I'm assuming that that will not be this person. Hi, is this Brittany? Yes, it's Brittany, not that other person, whoever that is. Not that that other person. This other person last week came on and just decided that the thing to do was to say MFR. How are you doing, MFRs? And, And that's all he would do. And he would call from different numbers to disguise himself. And one time uh-huh. he even he disguised his voice and did this whole preamble and then immediately went into it. So oh, was, that's, that's uh, not very creative. <laughs> Pretty no, predictable. No, it, it wasn't um, not creative friendly. at all. <laughs> yeah, it, it, had, it had no content at all. And it was about as juvenile as it gets. So, no, no, we are, we are definitely speaking with a much higher caliber human <laughs> being this evening. So, Brittany, thank you for joining us, and especially because you're on East Coast time, and I know it's, it's late for you. I, I appreciate it. So just for people who do not know, please tell everyone, what is The Undercurrent? Great. So thanks for having me. The Undercurrent is a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to spreading Ayn Rand's ideas on campuses nationwide. So we're very much into cultivating writers through our print edition. We have a magazine through our blog. We also host various events on campus 
sometimes it's a campaign event that will feature a speaker who talks about a specific idea and objectivism. Um, we've had debates between people on social security, welfare. We've had um, talks on selfishness. And this semester, we are throwing the first ever student-only conference on objectivism. So that's our, our biggest project right now. We're basically just very much interested in getting not only objectivist students interested in learning more about RAND, but all students interested in discovering why they should care about what RAND has to say and, and further how they can use uh, what she has to say to advance their own causes. Right, right, because after all, she has the best arguments for freedom. And there's a lot of people who could avail themselves of those arguments and, and do a lot better. So tell people about the conference itself more. So the conference is going to be next weekend. It's coming up. It's October 11th and 12th. It'll be held at American University uh, in Washington, D.C. And what's, what's really special, aside from the fact that we have a variety of speakers who are, you know, they range in uh, philosophical thinking from objectivist to conservative to libertarian um, and some in between is um, that it's actually being hosted by a college Republicans group. So it's very much kind of what we're after right now, which is, like I said, <laughs> helping helping students understand that, that RAND has so much more to offer um, in, a, in a broader perspective other than just um, information for objectivists and objectivist students. So the conference is two-tiered. It's partially a leadership conference, and it's also a conference where students can learn more about what RAND had to say about issues in foreign policy, intellectual property, privacy. Um, Amy, I don't know if you told your listeners, but Amy's going to privacy, be one of our speakers. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. I will be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these are, all, these are all very, yeah, they're complicated topics. And and um, they're going to be discussed for an entire weekend. And so we're just really excited to bring a bunch of various free market students together who have, you know, very different philosophies, one thing in common, which is an appreciation for RAND and a passion for the free market. Right, right. And if you're dealing with Republicans, there's so many Republicans who agree with me that the only candidate that's out there that even seems exciting right now for 2016 is Ted Cruz. And... Mm -hmm. There's a reason that Ted Cruz, I think, is better and different from all other conservatives out there in Washington, D.C., and I think it's because of his exposure and his admiration for Rand. I mean, it, it does make a difference. And no, he's not an objectivist by a long stretch, and there's things that I disagree about with him, but his principled stand on free speech, I have not seen it anywhere in Washington, D.C., and, and I think he, he owes... I mean, I don't know that he'd say he owes it, but he definitely admires Rand, and he he recommended reading Atlas Shrugged on the floor of the Senate. It it can make a big difference. So I think that you're exposing these students to Rand and helping them not just dismiss her because of what their friends say or anything else. It's, it's going to be very valuable. Right, yeah. I think Ted Cruz, I don't know too much about him, but, but I do know, I mean, I know enough to know that, that he has some admiration for Rand, and he is a, a prime example of someone who can extract value from her without necessarily subscribing to objectivism. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a tall order to ask of a student, you know, please, please commit yourself to, you know, this philosophy or that, that way of thinking. And um, that's not what we're about for this conference. We're really just about people discovering what Rand had to say. You know, they either know her as an economist, a philosopher, maybe an author. And so they get to explore the other 
facets of brand that maybe they didn't know existed or that they didn't have, um, you know, the resources to look into further. So that's what we're going to be providing is, is really just a place for them to explore RAND, not necessarily, you know, a place for them to, uh, you know, full-on commit to objectivism. That's, that's not what we're looking for. The students are coming from all over the country? Absolutely. So we have about 100 students coming in from all over the country, um, and then we have the local group is providing some of their own attendees. So it's going to be a very concentrated group of highly passionate students um but we were fortunate enough to bring to bring in about 100 students and about 20 of them are going to be objectivist student leaders um so we'll be training um the student leaders for just the club development and then the rest of the conference will be just kind of general everyone participating in um various talks and and um educational materials and opportunities now, you've listed yourself in the past as a director of development for the Undercurrent. And by the way, if people want to give donations to the Undercurrent, they can find the website. The link is from my blog at don'tletitgo.com. But if you look up the under, it's the undercurrent.org, is that right? Correct, yes. Yeah, they can they can find it there and, and donate because that's always welcome. And, I, I you know, again, if, if you want to see more Ted Cruz's in Washington, you would like to have more people, more smart people like Ted Cruz reading Ayn Rand's books. No, they're not all going to become objectivists, but they are all going to become better politicians and better advocates in the cause of liberty. So this is this is very important for, I think, objectivists and non-objectivists alike. Um, so you listed yourself as a director of development, and that's usually just geared towards fundraising, but you're doing so much more for the organization. In fact, you are organizing this entire conference. Is that right? That's right. So let me take a step back and talk about the donations for just a second because you mentioned them. Um, we we are very much in need still of supporters. So we have about 25 students coming in um, that we've promised scholarships to that still need some funding. So if people are listening and they think this is an interesting project or they're really into the idea of students exploring RAND, um, you know, please go to that site and donate. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not just doing this on my own. I mean, I have a phenomenal team of volunteers. So what people don't realize about the undercurrent is, um, for, for the exception of myself, it's all volunteer RAND. So we have very passionate students who are writers and we have very passionate editors who volunteer their time for us and you know a lot of these speakers are volunteering their time um or giving us you know a great opportunity into their lives on the weekend that they wouldn't normally give us um so it is in a sense me organizing the whole thing but it is an entire machine that's run purely by people who are incredibly invested and interested in this cause Right, right. So that that's very good. But in terms of doing this type of event, I mean, you've organized other events on campus and stuff, mm-hmm. but you've had challenges with this, organizing such a huge event like this? Um, yeah, I mean, I think every event comes with some challenges. It was definitely tough to find a hosting group. <laughs> um, so there are no objectivist clubs in D.C. right now, which is a real shame, and it's something that we hope to remedy from the conference. Um, mm-hmm. But finding a conference, uh, a group that wanted to host us was was definitely a challenge. And eventually, we got into in touch with a college Republican group at American University, and they were so excited to host it. So that was probably our biggest challenge. Um, you know, second, just just trying to figure out kind of the theme and 
and where we thought the biggest impact would be made was, was pretty challenging. And then figuring out which speakers we wanted to have involved because there are so many good options and, you know, we have limited resources. So we really had to kind of figure out what's the, what's the message we wanted. Like if we only had one shot, what is it we want to tell students? Um, and so that's how we're treating the conference. And that's why I think the topics that we're focusing on, which, you know, privacy, intellectual property, um, foreign policy, ethics, polit- you know, various, issues in politics is um, a big focus for us. So it, it, it's been a challenge, but I think, I think ultimately, you know, we've got, how can you go wrong when you have a hundred and something students who are just beating down the door to come learn this stuff? Right, right. And they're all going to come with their super interesting questions as well, which I'm looking forward to because it's nice to sort of look at objectivism through the eyes of somebody who's just learning about it and mm-hmm. see See what questions and perhaps any misconceptions and things that they might have. Now you have gone to other freedom promoting events, right? So there's other organizations that are student organizations out there, and I, I think you've gone to some of their events as well, right? That's what you do as part of your job. Yeah, it's it's really fun. So I go to a lot of. Um, Young Americans for Liberty events. I go to a lot of events that are um, maybe training seminars or, um, you know, leadership activism um, sessions from like the Leadership Institute. I try to go to, you know, college Republican meetings. I try to go to whatever I can um, for one reason because I want to know what makes these students interested just in their cause in general and then more specifically. You know, are they are they students who are really interested in free market ideas? And if so, where you know, I want to find out where Rand plays a role in that. So I do. I go to a lot of these events. I think you went to an FEE event. Is that right? Before FEE, yeah, yeah. I yeah. go to FEE events. Um, the last time I spoke to you when you were with Iran, actually, I think was when right. I went to that. Right. And I think you were said at that event in particular, you were hearing a whole lot of interesting ideas that people had about Rand. Um, things that you hadn't heard before in terms of misconceptions or something. Is that right or no? Yo, that's right. It, I... So, yeah, there were things that I'd heard before, but not from that kind of an audience. So for anyone listening who doesn't know this, I, I come from a very liberal background, and so I'm used to kind of hearing these liberal misconceptions about RAND. And for our purposes, for the conference, it's not really our target. Um, and so this, this fee conference, which I have to say, I, I love fee. I love everything they do. They're a great organization who, that brings students together very successfully. Um, but I did hear many students, um, you know, talking about RAND in a way that didn't make a lot of sense to me, um, mostly because it didn't seem like they knew why they had these ideas about RAND. So, you know, a huge misconception that a lot of these students have about Rand is um, things like her idea of selfishness, really basic stuff where they don't understand what she means or where she's coming from. Um, so I, I did hear a lot of students kind of just, um, you know, assuming that they understood the idea and then, you know, getting it almost completely mistaken in conversation. So could you give an example? Yeah. So um, what was something someone said? Um and I heard this is this is actually kind of a common thing that I hear a lot, and it happens from both sides. But something like you know, like Rand doesn't care about poor people. Like how many times have we heard that over and over and over again? Um, right. But especially in this context, it's really important that 
what I don't hear students saying is how she how she addresses how capitalism and the free market actually helps those kinds of people. You know that 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 maybe isn't the the main focus of her philosophy, but it does offer like the best answer. And that's something that, you know, a lot of the students didn't have an answer to. Um, another right. big one that I've heard a lot that maybe you're a little more interested in would be that, uh, you know, maybe like Rand is pro-war. Um, hmm. She's, <laughs> that's kind of, that's, that's been the, the biggest one recently. She's pro-war. That is interesting. Pro-war. You mean that she would actually support fighting a real war so that we could actually end war <laughs> for long periods <laughs> of time afterwards? That's why she's pro- yeah. You know, I, that I, I that idea. I would actually, say I would yeah. say that Obama Obama is way more pro-war than Ayn Rand, and it, it, it's the politicians of the last couple decades or so that seem to be into this idea of prolonged wars that are never going to end, and we just have to accept that. I, I would certainly not put Rand in that category. And in fact, she did, I believe, at first oppose being involved in World War II. She didn't want us to get involved at a certain. So she, I don't think she's at all, you know, eager. I, you know, why did Why does Obama want to go jump into Syria? You know, he, for some, he's got this big thing. He's got to get involved in Syria, and supposedly, well, he's Nobel Peace Prize, Peace Prize winner. It's insane. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I understand, you know, when you're hearing it, how can you unknow? Like, if that's the information you're getting, you can't know anything else. But I mean, that's that's a like foreign policy is going to be a great example of something that we're just really focusing on with this conference. So you mentioned the World War Two example. And I think that's something that Elon Giorno has written on. And he's going to be having a talk um, that's something like what would pro-liberty foreign policy really look like, you know, right. Ayn Rand's in Iran's framework. And so that's a good opportunity for students to, to, you know, hear, hear the real perspective on it instead of just kind of assuming that she is um, pro-war, which is, you know, you and I know that she's not. And, but, you know, what are the reasons? And like the reasons are never explained. The reasons are something that people don't have access to because they don't have access to the kind of, um, you know, speakers that we are going to be presenting at the conference. So, you know, I'm hoping at the very least we get some clarification on these issues. Right, right. All of the big questions. And do you have students that are saying, oh, great, I can't wait to ask so-and-so, such-and-such? Yeah, actually, I do. And so the biggest the biggest topics right now, number one is foreign policy. Um, mm-hmm. That is that is definitely the thing that students are the most um, confused about or they have the biggest um, misconceptions about. And so, you know, ideas of you know, the fact that RAND is, is pro-defense, you know, pro-defending your individualism and your rights is very much different from, you know, saying that someone is pro-war. And that is, is definitely the hottest issue. And then I would say, you know, issues right now that are just really hot in the news. So things like um, you know, privacy is always an issue, and you'll have plenty of experience with that. But um, right. even even things like intellectual property, that's something that's struggle with on a daily basis you know should I download this textbook or you know what about this piece of media I want to use on my mm-hmm. website you know um, right. those are really big issues and and I think and and, just and not just not just the legality not that just the legality of it but the morality of it is something that's interesting and and a lot of kids today just think oh you know if I can get music for free then mm-hmm. that's great and you know, information <laughs> wants to be free, 
right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's a real struggle for these students. And I get it. Um, I've been there. I think we all have. Uh, but, you know, I'm excited to see how they take that information and deal with it immediately after the conference because uh, it's so easy to get free access to things. And why shouldn't you? But that's why we have, you know, a panel with, with you and Steve Simpson and um, Adam, Moffat, Adam Moffat yeah. is on that panel. Right. Yeah. So you guys will be talking about exactly why that's not okay and explaining, you know, what the alternatives are and how you can, how you can legally obtain the same information um, and feel good about it. Right. And definitely do feel better about it in terms of foreign policy. I mean, here we are looking on the front of, you know, front page of newspapers or the front of dredge yet another beheading with ISIS today. And I was driving the other day. I've got an insane commute right now. So I think, and I, I was thinking, yeah, you know, back in World War II, they thought it was the world was really coming apart then, and the world didn't actually fall apart. You know, we got through World War II and everything was okay. And I was thinking, well, maybe, we, maybe we're just overreacting because there's a lot of us who, I think, understand the nature of what's going on, and we can get really pessimistic about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and so then I was thinking, oh, I might just be overreacting. I mean. They thought it was the end of the world. They thought the end of the world with the Cold War. Do you remember they used to do the nuclear uh, drills, you know, where the kids would have mm-hmm. to dive under the desks and everything? They had all this going on, I guess, in the 50s. I mean, there were always times where people were basically in constant fear of horrible, horrible things happening. So isn't that, you know, Ebola today and this and that? And I, I do think it's different today, and particularly in the foreign policy realm, because of the infiltration of altruism, the idea of putting others above yourself into foreign policy. And that comes in through what they call just war theory. And I'm sure that Elon is going to do a bang up job of that. But when I was thinking, you know, I was thinking, oh, am I just being a pessimist? Am I, you know, everybody always thinks, oh, it's the end, but it's really not. Everything's okay. But we have this just war theory now that is crippling us in dealing with our enemies appropriately. And and that's where I think this is something that really should be of concern to these students. You know, it's, um, and and in a way, I I have so much sympathy for them because they're growing up in a world that probably since they remember, you know, they can remember was dangerous. Whereas I grew up for quite a long period of time, you know, under Reagan and stuff where things were looking really good and, pretty safe and a, a lot of the kids don't even have much memories before 9-11-01 you know um mm-hmm. it's it, it's kind of so it's going to be interesting to especially hear their reaction i think to to foreign policy and how they put that in their minds i mean how you because you you can't just think about it all the time or otherwise you'd be paralyzed you have to compartmentalize right. it to a certain extent but you have to deal with it in your mind you have to process it and you have to decide what would be the proper way for us to to deal with it you have to know those things you can't evade those things but then you have to kind of put it away and say okay no one like obama is going to have a a proper policy have you had this have you had foreign policy discussions with the students are they are they worried so I don't have too many of those discussions purely because foreign policy, you know, is just, it's not a focus of mine. I'm totally not qualified to talk about that. I mean, I talk about it in a very vague sense of, um, you know, coming down to, you know, my rights as an individual, my rights as an American, um, what, 
you know, what I'm willing to do to defend those rights. Um, and, and, and really the root of it that we get down to, I mean, you mentioned this altruistic, um, <laughs> you're kind of like fighting against that forever, right? Like, I think that's where some mm-hmm. of the, the, the what, what some of the pessimism comes into is like, how can you fight this beast? I mean, altruism is this devastating beast and it's, it's embedded into us. Um, and I, I think, Especially, I mean, with, I think foreign policy is, is, a, is a big area for that. But I think there's another talk that's going to be pretty relevant to these students, which is Keith Lockett's talk on um, it's it's a I don't know if you read you read Ocon, so you might have seen it. But it was it's Ayn Rand on abortion, foreign policy, and environmentalism. And the root of that talk is is egoism and understanding right. egoism and how egoism solves. All, or at least gives you the tools to try to solve these problems. And I think that definitely applies to foreign policy. And I, I think, honestly, if, if you can get people to understand egoism um, as, as defined and described by Ayn Rand, you, you have a pretty good shot of maybe not convincing them right away that egoism um, is something that they should embrace, but at least in answering some of these questions. Um, so, you know, I don't engage too much in these kinds of conversations um, too technically, but I do. I try to just get down to the level of, of of egoism, and I think when you when you can start to get in a conversation about that, you can you can at least work out the issues and ask the right questions. Um, so I'm definitely a question asker when it comes to issues like foreign policy. Right, right, and it, I mean foreign policy in terms of the concretes and who is what group in Syria, and is there really a Khorasan or whatever it's called group or mm-hmm. not? Was it made up? These these get beyond me quite a bit. You know, one thing that you were talking about before, which was the issue of does Ayn Rand care about the poor or do objectivists care about the poor? I think that question really shows the effect of altruism because I think the thing that people who are not objectivists have a hard time grasping is the idea of just benevolent feelings towards your fellow human beings. Uh, I, I was teaching at I was teaching at one university, and there was a colleague there who apparently said, "Gosh, you know, everything you hear about objectivists, you know, the selfish, you know, they should be mean, and you know what? They're some of the nicest people that I've ever met." Mm-hmm. And the guy the guy was really confused, and <laughs> the the way I explained it was, "Look, we as objectivists do not believe that we have a moral duty to our fellow man." We don't believe right. that we are morally enslaved to other people. So we do not see other people as a mortgage on our lives. And that allows us to generally be more benevolent. It gets hard today where the government is starting to really enforce this duty, right? But to the extent that everyone's just left free in society to commingle with each other, and you have a bunch of people who see all of their fellow human beings as duties, representing duties that they have to fulfill. And then there's us as objectivists who see other human beings just either as potential values or people that we don't have to deal with if we don't want to, right? It's all upside. It's all potential upside and no potential downside. And it's wonderful. Whereas, you know, other people, if you see them as some sort of obligation, I I could see that where people would say, you know, she she doesn't care about the pork. She doesn't believe she has a duty. I think they would think, well, if I didn't have a duty, then I would have nothing to do with anybody. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's a really good 
That's a great point. I was actually, I was just hanging out with a friend of mine and I was telling him that I was coming on your show and, you know, full disclosure, you know, he's a libertarian and we're really good friends and that's okay. That's possible. Um, but I was like, right. you could help me. Like, tell me, tell me what you think about Rand. And like for a second, just <laughs> pretend like you don't care what I say. And he was like, you know, he didn't really have anything bad to say, but what he did say was that, you know, he had an interesting conversation with someone um, who told him as a libertarian that he didn't care about the poor. And he was like, well, you know, in a sense, I don't care about the poor like you do. In the sense that, like, I don't think about them constantly all day long. But what I do do is I think about a system that best helps those people. It gives them the best answer. It gives them a better answer than you could possibly give them. And I think that that's, you know, just overlooked sometimes with objectivism. And so when people, and I mean, he's on, he's on objectivist, but he understands that concept and, you know, he's a great person. And I think he's right. You know, maybe we don't think about it in that sense of it's something that we obsess over, but we definitely do give great answers for how to solve that problem and probably some of the best answers out there. And if, if there's a better one, I would like to hear it. Um, but the point is, is that, you know, I'm constantly um, faced with people who are just shocked by the fact that I'm a nice person or that I'm friendly or that I'm outgoing or I have interests other than philosophy. And right. I think that, that there's so many opportunities that we as objectivists need to be taking to just be good, putting a good face on this thing. You know, the conference is a, is a great example. It's all great people, um, you know, people who are, are, are honest and friendly and they're not even all objectivists, but what they do have in common is an appreciation for RAND and an interest in helping students figure out how they want to live their lives. And I don't think you can lose that way. And especially if you're an objectivist presenting your philosophy in, in the way that objectivism really is and ought to be framed, like you can't lose. Mm -hmm. And so it's just huge opportunities for us to be setting examples that I think we need to be taking advantage of. Now, so when you yourself, you you would say maybe you're not a, a technical philosophy specialist, but I've seen you sometimes, you know, make very astute comments about current events, and you do that on Facebook, I think either <laughs> through your oh, own gosh. Brittany Faye Rivera account. I'm not going to quiz you right now. I'm not going to at all. Uh -huh. But what, what I want to ask you, so what what sort of current events do you like to follow? What What kind of interests so you more? Yeah, that's a good question. I I have to be honest with you. I'm I'm really just kind of depressed by um, a lot of what's in the news right now. I don't blame um, you. Me, I, I don't blame you. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting like even emotional thinking about it. I just like I'm just I can't deal with it right now because um, uh, I have so much else that I'm thinking about. So what interests me is what I see other you know, students are my interest and activism is, is my is my genuine true interest. And so I like to see what they're commenting on. So I like to just kind of follow um, cultural issues. Like that's what the undercurrent writes about is different cultural issues. And, you know, like the recent one that I commented on, I don't know if you saw, was about the legislation in Oregon for that baker, um, you know, the, the I think she's a Republican, but a conservative baker who didn't want to make cakes for gays. And I had commented that, you know, like, yeah, I think sexual discrimination is wrong, but, you know, applauding, you know, that legislation has prevented this person from serving whoever they want to is incredibly unjust. You know, I'm very much interested right. in cultural issues and how they impact us um, philosophically and also legally. And, you know, I kind of just follow 
I don't want to say the lighter stuff, just the things that that I think the average person um, can have an interest in, because that's very much how I view myself. You know, I'm not I'm not someone who's going to be commenting heavily on foreign policy or, or, or anything like that. So I like to follow kind of simple um, things where there's a lot of questions to ask but that like everyone has a question about. But, you know, even some kind of everyday issues aren't necessarily all that simple. They're involved as well. And and it might just be that issues like should a baker Mm -hmm. be forced to serve people with whom he disagrees, that that's something that interests you in particular more. And that's fine, too. Everybody kind of specializes in things. I mean, I got into the privacy issue. It was a little bit of a fluke. But then I went on and wrote about it for years. So it's often something that just ends up appealing to you and you delve more and more into it and you start thinking about the nuances of it. And that's the thing that you see yourself. I I don't know that foreign policy is necessarily that much more complex than anything that, that you were talking about. One thing that Stuart over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio is reminding us about is the good news of the Hong Kong protests giving him hope. And that is, I think, a really good sign. I mean, between the Ebola scare that's going on out there um, I guess we are going to worry a little bit about DC, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's I mean, a I was in, I was, <laughs> I was in Atlanta when it first came, and I'm fine, so I think I'm okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I know, I know. But I mean, what you know, what are what are people doing getting on planes when they know they have Ebola and flying here? Mm-hmm. Um, and our, you know, is our president going to do anything to protect us to to keep this stuff out? I I do not know. Um, but the Hong Kong protest is good news. One of the things that I've been really happy about this last week is Bill Maher. I don't know if you're okay, familiar with Okay, what did he say what, this week? I am, but well, I don't know what he said this week. <laughs> well, he he keeps saying what I say are good things about Islam. He he is a just a staunch critic and a very principled critic of Islam. And last week he, he did it again. I mean, he, he put up a story... There was some kid who got prosecuted because he, I don't know if he desecrated or just disrespected, or he did something lewd to mm-hmm. a religious statue, I believe. Is that what happened, Bosch? Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Jesus was Yeah, he put his body up against the statue of Jesus in a lewd way, we'll say. Uh-huh. And... Um, and then the question was, you know, what was going to happen to him? And and Mar was making the comparison: if this guy had done this in an Islamic culture, to it, well, first of all, he needs a statue of Muhammad wouldn't exist because if you made right. a statue of Muhammad, you'd be killed. Uh, but at the same time, what would happen to somebody who defamed or you know desecrated or disrespected Muhammad in that way? And it, it's interesting because he is a staunch liberal, and so many of his fellow liberals just can't stomach his principled mm-hmm. no holds barred criticism of Islam and it's just it's it's really nice to see because I think he's one of the very few voices Is there anybody else on the left John uh Dave, David Letterman was sort of brave when he was threatened but he doesn't Stewart. criticize Islam per se the way that, that Bill Bill Maher is it really sucks. Yeah. So, yeah. so so I'm just you know there is you do have to wade through a lot of really depressing stuff, Brittany, but then you get these little flashes of, of goodness here and there and out there. But I think it is good. I mean, you're, you're focusing on the students, 
And if you can focus your efforts on the students, you're focusing on the hope for the future of, of making things better in the in the next generation. Do you get involved in current politics, any sort of, you know, supporting particular candidates? Do you see yourself rooting for anybody in 2016 or not really? So I don't know who I'm rooting for yet in 2016. Um, I will say that my, you know, where I currently live, which is somewhere south and east, um, there's a lot of heavy politics going on. And for the first time, you know, I am pretty excited about getting involved. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm coming from, and I, I've mentioned this, but not only did I come from the left, I came from a very uninformed left. So politics is just so new to me. Um, it's kind of a daunting task to try to catch up and figure out, like, how your ideas, you know, match with what's out there. And, of course, you know, you have to compromise a little bit. And so I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do that. Um, I'm still working it out. I don't exactly know who I'm going to be rooting for and what direction I'm going to go in. Um, but, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And, I mean, I've got a little bit of time to think about it. But I do know that that's always a source of controversy uh, whenever talking to especially people who, you know, you want to have on your side and maybe you disagree about who you want to vote for. Uh, but like everything else, you know, is almost the right thing to be agreeing on. Um, know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, you mentioned you mentioned something really interesting, which is the Hong Kong issue. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you saw the photos that have been going around of students with the umbrellas and the I'm with I think it was a hashtag like I'm with Hong Kong. Have you seen those? No, I have not seen that. What I did see were gorgeous photos of people out on the streets in Hong Kong in vast, vast numbers at these protests. And it just, it looked, it was just awe-inspiring. But I didn't see what you're talking, so describe what you're talking about. So what I'm seeing is, it's um, it's basically a photo campaign. And so I've seen the photos you're talking about, and I mean, it's just, you know, you mentioned, I, I even mentioned earlier, I was like, well, these are the cultural issues I'm getting involved in, but we forget about sometimes the positive news out there, so I'm glad you brought it up. But you have students who are taking photos of themselves with umbrellas, um, supporting Hong Kong, and you know they're holding up a, a sign that says, I think it's hashtag, I stand with Hong Kong, or I'm with Hong Kong. But can you, and, and I mean, I don't know if they understand if they understand what it is that they're promoting, and they probably do, or else they wouldn't be doing it. But can you imagine um, how effective that kind of activism or that kind of social media outreach would be for something that, you know, like as objectivists we're promoting, like hashtag, you know, I stand with Rand, <laughs> like as an Ayn Rand or, um, right. You know, like right now I stand with Rand means Rand Paul, but yeah. <laughs> right. So maybe that's not a good example, but something like, you know, hashtag egoism or, you know, like, I think that that kind of stuff, it's, it's, it's so appealing. And if you can just explain to people or get them you know, give them the information and if they understand it and they like it, they're going to run with it. And so I think that there's so much potential. I was just thinking about this, you know, how this Hong Kong thing exploded in like a day and a half. Um, and it's just a really good example of how if you give people the tools to access ideas and you even introduce them to the ideas, they'll run with it. So I'm or, just excited or what about, to see. You know, the, um the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge that went on and on yeah. for quite some time. I thought that was super effective. I mean, certainly it was effective as a as a fundraising event, but I think it also did raise awareness of the disease for, for many people, which, I mean, a lot of people found it annoying, but I thought, you know, it, does, it doesn't 
you know, it's not an obligation on anybody. You don't have to participate yeah. if you don't want to. And there was a lot of fun that happened with it and, and awareness raising. So something like that would be really fun. A lot of people have used the slogan, who is John Galt, from the novel Atlas mm-hmm. Shrugged, kind of in the way you describe, but um, not on a on a massive scale like what you're talking about. I'd like to I'd like to see that with Hong Kong. So I would what go out on Twitter and there's some people <laughs> supporting Hong Kong out on Twitter. Yeah, I'll try to look up the link and see if I can find it out for you and and send it to you, but maybe you even saw the the Occupy Hong Kong. Did you see that movement where they were talking about how they were um people on social media are comparing Occupy Hong Kong to Occupy Wall Street? And and the Hong Kong um, occupiers—they're so polite, really, right? The protesters—they yeah. clean up, right? <laughs> they take their trash with them when they leave, and so they're not a nuisance. And people listen to that. People pay attention to those who take their ideas so seriously that they care about how they present themselves, and that's powerful. And that's something that, whether or not you agree with that particular message, message of these like Occupy Hong Kongers. This is something powerful, and, you know, I'm all about, like, why reinvent the wheel? See what's working and make it work for your own cause. You know, maybe we can get a hashtag John Galt, you know, happening. Um, maybe we need, I don't know, an umbrella, roller skates, I don't know, something for people to be interacting the with. But Ice buckets and umbrellas have been done, so we need to come up. You know, it could be. I mean, this is just... Please don't say Star sh- Trek. Please don't say Star Trek. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to take like a completely random shot in the dark and say, how about polo horses? I mean, come on. I I would be for that. Obviously. Everyone, Brit, Brittany plays polo. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if anybody I play polo with knows that, that I'm on the, the Ayn Rand train, but <laughs> we'll see. But, yeah, no, I mean, I think it would be cool to figure is, out. Is there, is there anybody else in objectivism that you know of who plays polo, actually? No, but I have to say, in college when I played, so I play on a club team now, but when I was in college, um, you know, there was a, there's an instance I had with a, with another friend of mine who's a really good friend now, but he, he made a political joke, and he did it as a test to try to figure out where I was. And I was so relieved he made this joke that I, like, joked back with him, and we just bonded. So, And because of that, he actually read a bunch of rants. I wouldn't say he's an objectivist, but um, I actually, actually, you know, I do know one, one objectivist that plays polo, and I played with him, I guess, for a couple of weeks when I was still in Texas. But it hasn't caught on. I wish it would um, because it's just phenomenal. <laughs> but it's okay. I'm, I'm okay being the only person who plays polo for now. It's, it sounds about like dog agility. I know of one objectivist who's done dog agility, and I'm not sure whether he even still does dog agility anymore. So uh, I, guess, I guess we're just freaks, Brittany, you and I. Us us niche freaky people, we can just bond over that. We don't even need doing, to be in the doing same. Doing this animal <laughs> sport thing, you know. Your, your sport yeah. is way more involved in terms of the animal care than mine, though, because you have to have a horse. So you rent a horse? Is that what you do, or you have a horse? <laughs> No, I definitely don't have a horse. I do. I do not want that responsibility. I. I basically just lease. So, um, usually in polo, when you when you play competitively, you actually never ride the same horse. But where I'm riding now, everyone has their own horse. So I usually ride the same, maybe one or three horses, um, and kind of bond with them and figure out how they like to play. And um, you know, that's just that's just kind of how it is. They're not mine. I don't pay for anything other than than just the ride, which I really like because. That's a lot of responsibility. Um, so, 
Yeah, no, I yeah. don't own my own horse, but I, I do out and I play the same horses and uh, it's just a lot of fun. It, it, like you and I talked about this, you just have to have a break sometimes and that's a good way to release yourself. No, and it's so between focusing on the students who are the future and sometimes getting the break by going and doing something completely removed from current events, assuming that we still have the luxury to do these things. These, this is the way mm-hmm. to to survive and have a good time in uh, in today's society. I'm looking forward to this next week, Brittany. Is there anything else we would too. want to tell this audience before we let you actually sleep, given that you're on East Coast time there? <laughs> You're assuming that I sleep. Activists don't sleep, Amy. Um, there's, okay. a, there's a couple of things. I don't know if we have any students listening. Um, definitely for anyone local, we're still taking registration. So the best way to probably, I don't know what links you have up of ours, but the best way to probably find out how you can. I actually do. I have, um, you do? If, if they go if they go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, I have the sentence in which we say, we'll discuss the upcoming student conference. An upcoming student conference is a hyperlink to the express registration form. Okay. So that's awesome. there. That's what yeah. people will want to access if they're local. And we're still taking locals. We have a couple of scholarships left for people who aren't locals. Um, and you can visit um, Facebook um, and the undercurrent is what you would look for us there. Um, you know, our biggest push right now is we really – need the community to get involved and you know help us financially to make this the best conference we possibly can this year is a test and if we figure out that students and i think we do if we find out that they really want this and they want to keep doing this year after year with a different theme we're going to keep throwing it so you know people can support us by going to the undercurrent.org slash donate um, they can find out about the conference by going to conference.theundercurrent.org, and that has the donate button. It has our schedule. It has our speakers list. Amy's on there. I'm on there. You're Ron Brooks, John Allison, all of us. We're all on there, um, and and we're all looking to to bring something exciting to the students. So that's a way so you can get involved. And you know, Jonathan really Jonathan cool Honig that, is also going to be there, right? For, yes, for people, there's yeah. a lot of people who listen to the show who are fans of Honig, and he's going to be there as well. You got a great lineup, Brittany. You really do. It's so awesome. Jonathan's going to be doing a leadership seminar during lunch. I think it's going to be so much fun. Jonathan's always a lot of fun. Um, and we're also going to be collecting a lot of data from these students. So we're going to be finding out, you know, what organizations are they involved in? Where is this education going to be embedded? Um, you know, how do they think of Rand when they get there versus how do they think of her when they leave? And how is this education impacting them? Um, and, you know, another way to get involved is to, order copies of our print edition um, where we have students writing about cultural issues that matter right now um, you know the check your check your privilege um, topic is really hot so you can find out about how to get involved with us in all these different ways by going to the undercurrent.org um, you can find us on twitter at um, t undercurrent uh, facebook all of these ways you can get in touch with us find out how you can get involved as a student as a supporter maybe as a future speaker um, and, you know, I'm just excited to see where it goes. I'm so excited that you're involved um, because I know, you, you know, you were and you still are someone that I look up to. Um, I just can't wait. Well, I think it's going to be totally cool. <laughs> so I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. And I was brought in getting involved in objectivism by way of a student on campus organization at UCLA. Oh, really? And oh, cool. yeah, and I, and and I think it's it's very important because there's a lot of kids, maybe they read a little bit of Ayn Rand in high school and then mm-hmm. they they forget about it. And then years later they say, "Hmm, there's this little activity going on on my campus. Maybe I'll go check it out." 
And unless those activities are going on on campus, that person may have put Rand out of their mind for many more years and not actually gotten involved because kids, you know, we go through so much. And yeah. you you don't necessarily get involved in the thing you should be getting involved in the first time it comes across your radar. You may have to see it again and again. And that was the case with me. I was very grateful that there were, you know, there was an objectivist club on, on the campus where I was. And that's not always true. But a lot of these students, they'll be inspired to create clubs on their own campus. And you never know what the outcome of that's going to be. So I thank you, Brittany. And I wish you the best as you do the last-minute preparations for the event next week. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. I'll see you soon, Amy. I'm so excited for you to join us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And take care. Have a good evening. And uh, don't sleep if you don't want to, but but if you do want to. <laughs> Grab some sleep. Take care. Thanks, Brittany. Okay, everyone. So I've got cartoonist Bosch Faustin sitting here in the studio with me. And uh, are you ready to do some sort of a, a rundown? You know, when I, when I was talking with Brittany, I already mentioned something that I did want to follow up on from last week because last week, of course, we were focused on the horrible atrocity in Oklahoma. And this week we're confronted with another horrible atrocity in the Middle East. Of course, the atrocity in Oklahoma hit literally closer to home and, and therefore was such an effect. But one thing that I did, I updated the program notes for last week's show over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com to include a clip of Bill Maher. Now, is that clip not live anymore? Was there a thing where it was taken down? Or Actually, let me let me see if this it clip was. is live was taken down one of them was one of them was, yeah this video is no longer available because yeah. the uploaders closed their youtube account okay it. so you're gonna have to find me another one um mar was so good again about islam last week and i got inspired to go back and watch bill mar's muslim fashion show and, and i think do you think that we should play that I, don't, I mean, I don't know if it works. It's, it's, it doesn't work unless you see it. You know, you do that's part of it. You do, you do really have to see it. Yeah. I, I recommend it. Years ago, it was a few years ago when I wrote Liberals' Ten Commandments post nine eleven, and there I already had put a link to the Muslim fashion show. That here's right. somebody right. who's, who's and ago, and the lines, the one liners are just so witty so pregnant with statements about Islam and the misogynistic culture. Yeah. I mean, it's just really good stuff, and it's fearless. Yes. You know, regardless if he has a, uh, a security team, whatever, it's fearless. He's telling the truth about this disgusting religion in a way that nobody else is out there, in the mainstream, at least. And he's forcing his liberal friends to be exposed to it, which, which is fantastic. Yeah. By the way, uh, this guy, Riza Aslan, I don't know if anyone out there knows him, He's a piece of crap Muslim who goes out there and smiles, and he's overly educated by, you know, he's a leftist. Basically, he's a Muslim leftist. He's overeducated by leftists, so he can play the game. He can make uh, it appear that he's a sophisticated, you know, a sophisticated guy going out there and defending Islam. And he's in bed with Iran on an official capacity. He uh, trashed Bill Moore the other day, called him stupid about his criticism of Islam. And he says his, his criticism is not really sophisticated. This guy who is part of the most barbaric ideology on earth, right? Saying about Bill Maher, his, you know, his, um, I guess, take on Islam is un- unsophisticated. And even this one liberal, this uh, respectable liberal, Chris Cuomo, said Riza Aslan's tone 
shows why people are fearful of Islam. He's very aggressive. He's all he's a snarky little rat. And uh, I drew a cartoon about him in 2010 because uh, him and Robert Spencer were going back and forth at it. And then he suggests to Robert that Robert wants him sexually because you know, okay. he's, he's harassing him. So I took that critical <laughs> poem and put it on his tie. Right, you know, right. And, uh, I check, remember that. Yeah, check it out. It's called uh, Jihad Poetry. Jihad Poetry. Yeah, Jihad Poetry. <laughs> you know, something that you did today, I think that was effective for people, yeah. was to just put a picture up of a little snippet from the Quran yeah. in which the Quran sanctions beheading. And, yeah. it, and it's not even the verse of the sword. It's no. something from Surah 8, yes. right? It's a chapter before. Even though the Quran is it's collected longest chapters to shortest chapters. But in reality, uh, the verse of the sword, which is probably the second or the, or the last, the second to last or last chapter, is the one where it's the floodgates are open, all war for all time, that's it. And this is a chapter, uh, technically, in the collected Quran, that's chapter 8, and uh, has this one passage there. And yeah, I thought it would be effective just to show my Quran with my underlining, because seeing is believing for a lot of people. They can, they can hear me talk about it, but once you see the actual words, it's um, it's, it's different. It's uh, it's very different. So the, the passage goes, um, uh, I shall cast terror into the hearts of the infidels, strike off their heads, strike off the very tips of their fingers, an exclamation point, whatever the hell that means about the fingers. Yeah, once, my once you strike off their head, as you as you pointed out, once you strike, once yeah, you strike what, off their why, head, why why do you bother with the fingers at that point? It's gratuitous. Yeah, but um, <sighs> it's important to show that uh, it really is because this religion is out to get us, and um, I drew a drawing of uh, Jesus Christ, and I said, well, if I draw Jesus Christ, will Christians kill me? Of course, the answer is no. And Bill Maher pointed out, you know, he's a consistent, thoroughly uh, contemptuous of religion, and it's sad also because that one clip that we that we had a few weeks ago. Um, what, what's that one website? Buzzfeed was that no, it? No, it was a different website. They literally plucked out this one criticism they had against religion in general. He, really yeah, pathetic. he said he said something like he says, you know, all all religions, all religions are irrational. Yeah, or no, no, no. He, he said all religions stupid. are stupid. Okay. And then he kept going on, and then he specifically went after Islam. Guys, I mean, don't pluck that out because they literally tucked you know, took it out. They don't like that he said all religions are stupid. It doesn't matter. Like, look, they that's should, Bill they Maher. That's who he's he is. Yeah. He is. He hates religion, but he understands that Islam is the worst and the most vicious, especially today. That's the one that that's coming after us. You know, people accuse me sometimes. Well, why don't you go after Judaism and Christianity and and, and I say, I'm, you know, I'm, what, what, if they come after me, yeah, I'll go after them. Right now, it's Islam and it's hunting us down. So that's why I go after it exclusively. And I do criticize you know, religion in general. It's irrational. It's based on faith. But Islam is it's just it's a different beast. It's a different beast. It's you know, it's like the uh you know, the force, you have the, the good force and the evil force. Not that you know religions are per se good. I mean some you know, people can literally take them and run with them, any other religion, but uh Islam happens to be the most
most vicious, the most brutal. Yeah, and we've talked about that numerous times in terms yeah, of the, I mean, the many no the many reasons for. No doubt, I repeat myself about these things. If, if you're bothered, that, sorry. Debbie in the chat room over here says, "I find it strange that Bill Maher gives me an opportunity to feel good about something in the culture. Yes. Strange that someone could be so good in some ways and so bad in others. Absolutely. Or has he got, gotten better across the board recently? I, don't think so. I uh, doubt okay, it. Okay. Well, 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 one thing he did do is he criticized. Okay, he says." Obama says that ISIS uh, doesn't, uh, that they're not Islamic. And he goes, well, maybe they don't practice the Islamic religion the way Obama does. That's funny. That is funny. That's funny. He's but it's well, still, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. Islam. It's, yeah, but it's taking a pot shot at Obama saying, well, he's Muslim. You know, in a, in a funny way, because everyone is, you know, everyone says, oh, he's Muslim. And they say in an angry way, he's Muslim. He's not. I mean, he's not. Power is his religion. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't mind watching an entire Mar show from beginning to end and just see kind of where he is because right. he's he's so honest about this one issue. You is. start to think he can't be that compartmentalized. I think he is. Really, he's been pathetic about okay. Obama and about Obamacare. And the one value that um, uh, Breitbart, when he was on um, Bill Maher's show, he called him out about his libertarianism because Maher identified himself as a libertarian for years. And Breitbart called him out. He goes, you support Obamacare. You can't do that as a libertarian. And Maher just sat there. And he like, he had a face. He didn't even defend himself. It was a shtick that he had. Because he, he, he knows that liberal is, uh, is, a, is a bad term now. So then know? he calls himself libertarian. Yeah, because that's a little more acceptable. Right, it's a little right. cool. And Breitbart called him out, so it was good. Trevor over here in the chat room, when he's talking about using the number six pin from the prisoner and the slogan would mm. be, be seeing you. Remember that? <laughs> That's right. Or, I'm be not a number. You. I am, I am a, a man. man. <laughs> um, that that would be a really good slogan to use for the sort of campaign that our guest, Brittany Faye Rivera, was talking about. Mm. She was talking about the effectiveness, and I have not seen this campaign. She said she had seen a campaign, I think maybe on Twitter, somewhere on social media, where people took pictures of themselves with umbrellas and said, I am with Hong Kong hmm. or something, you know, sort of a hashtag campaign, yeah. but they take these pictures. And, if, you know, I was mentioning the... ALS Ice Bucket Challenge right. and how effective that was. Yes. And the question is, what sort of similar campaign could you use? As, as objectivists, we could always say, who is John Galt? But whenever you throw out the phrase, who is John Galt right now, I, I wonder if people think that you are advertising the movie. And uh, I'm certainly not in, eager to advertise the movie. I have not seen the movie, by the way. But I well, hear, so bad, I, can't I, hear I hear <laughs> from people who saw the movie that one element of the movie that just really stood out for people was that there was a very well-polished canoe in the movie. And that it was a very sort of symbolic, well-polished canoe in the movie. And I was thinking, this sounds bad. Um, I mean, we, I have to protect myself from, from watching it, you know? I have this idea of Alex Shrugged, and right. you have to protect yourself. You have to protect your eyes and your mind and your ideas about the characters. Anyway, I don't know if anyone over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio has seen the movie and they and the story. do you want to talk about it. They they certainly can. You might have put that one thing that I mentioned before about one of the biggest whoppers Obama dropped in a while. Mm, go ahead, right? i got to put the. Oh, you have to put an audio clip right. for us? Okay, go ahead and let's grab an audio yeah. clip. We let actually me, up, we actually do have a fairly free-form, almost an open line-ish show yeah. for us today. If you have a current story that you would like to talk about, I mean, Bosch has got a few things, and mm -hmm. I'm going to... Freedom Breeze's comment? 
I'm going to dig it in. Freedom Breeze's comment is, uh, what do you say to those who claim that the Muslim who beheaded the lady in Oklahoma is just crazy and just using Islam as a way to vent his insanity? Someone on the Hannity discussion group apparently argued that this evening. So what do you, what do you say to well, that? Well, yeah, he's crazy. And he's a murderer. And he's a Muslim. And he's sick. And he's twisted. And he's evil. Yeah, and all of that combined. And Islam justifies it. You know, he found the religion that would completely back him up. So whether, you know, I mean, I, th- I think Muhammad was crazy if he existed. I think those who fly planes in the buildings are crazy. doesn't mean that they're not Muslim. Because they're crazy. You know what I mean? That's, that's part of it. But uh, there's a real push you know, for, for Muslims. I mean, it's really, it's really disgusting. I mean, you got uh, Brigitte Gabriel, who was on um, with Megyn Kelly, and he got this hack. I, I don't know what his name is. I forgot his name. He's a Muslim. Uh, Islam is peace. And that's it. That's, that's all he keeps yapping away. And Brigitte says, no, it means submission. And, you know, she was very, very determined right. to say the truth. And Megyn Kelly allowed it to happen, which is good, because she's ignorant about it. But at least she has people to talk about it. But the only thing I hate about Fox is they think that being fair and balanced is bringing on a truth teller and a liar and thinking, well, two sides are going at it. No, there's a liar and there's an honest person. It's a big difference. So the liar gets in the way of the honest person, takes away from the truth. But whatever, it's good that the only good thing, I'm, I'm hesitant to even use that word, but the only good thing about these things, these atrocities that happen, is the word Islam starts being used. The euphemisms go out the window. People start saying Islam a little more, a little more casually, a little more consistently. Islam, no prefix, no suffix, no crap, no Islamist numbers, but Islam. And um, to me, that's always music to my ears because it um, tells me that eventually we'll get closer and closer to the truth and, and start acting on it. So, yeah, all those things. He's crazy, he's sick, he's twisted, he's evil, he's Muslim, all that, yes. And, and so the idea is that it gives that extra nudge to people him, who were crazy and weren't going to do these gives horrible him atrocities. It gives him a moral backup that he wouldn't have on his own. That's why, you know, when I say as a you know, psychopath and, and uh, serial killers, they have nothing. They have, they have their own. In the Middle East, you got, it's, a, it's like a, a culture of serial killers. It creates these sick, twisted scum. And also, you know, Islam, it poisons poisons the mind. I mean, I was fortunate. I was born and raised here in the Bronx, you know, New York, America. My parents were quite a lot moderate, but still there was evil ideas be, being uh, put in our heads about, about Jews and whatnot and about women. But uh, we withstood it, you know, me and my, uh, my siblings. Um, that's all. I think Stuart has called in here. You do want to speak, I assume, Stuart, although I do not see the little question icon. I'll put the audio dimension after. Okay, okay, great. Stuart, uh, you're on right now, so you can hear me. Uh, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. Hi. Uh, thank you. Um, but, yeah, with, with, with respect to um, you know, getting a lot of attention on Twitter through hashtag activism, you know, saying, you know, holding an umbrella and saying, I'm with Occupy Hong Kong. I mm-hmm. wanted to know if you've heard of a recent phenomenon that's really big on Twitter right now called Gamergate. And I think this relates to a lot of what uh, Bosch Fossen has been talking about uh, with concern, uh, with respect to, you know, um, this move to make comic books very politically correct. Mm. And I try to sanitize and bother or bother Bowderize, is that how it's pronounced? To bowderize 
how uh, Islam is portrayed. Um, something very similar is happening with video games. You know, and of course, um, I, I think a lot of baby boomer objectivists think, well, who cares about video games? It's a silly diversion. It's not a big deal. But I think that right now, video games are where the culture wars of the 21st century will be fought. They're already being fought uh, right now. Because what's happening is that there's this big campaign to make video games very politically correct. Mm. We'll start radical feminists. They make these videos saying um, saying that all video games like Super Mario Brothers and Pac-Man, even those old games, are very misogynist. And that, oh, no. <laughs> that when, when boys and girls play video games, they're being brainwashed into these really oppressive 90s. I think feminists are the most misogynist people on earth, but go on. <laughs> yeah, they say there are these really children play video games that they're being brainwashed into these really misogynist uh, gender cultural norms and and um, and it gets worse well I think you can read about this on Breitbart.com there have been some articles about this on Breitbart.com and recently things got really really uh, heated because they discovered that um, this relationship there um, what happened was all these video game websites these, these websites that are in the business of promoting video games and reviewing them and recommending them, they kept promoting something called Depression Quest. It's a video game about depression. Hmm. You can play it online for free. 